1: Hey everybody, it's Monica Jones, your host for another Sunday of Arts, the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. I hope everybody's had a good week. And um, anyway, uh, welcome to the show. And I'm here with my uh, trusty co-host and tech geek, Victor Gouveia. Hello everybody. And, um, so we just just want to start out and say that if you like what you're hearing, um, go to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, wherever you can go, and hit your notification bells and subscribe, and, um, because we don't want you to miss anything. Uh, we enjoy putting this stuff together, so, um, but anyhow, um, Today we're we're going to be doing um, a few more thrillers Because um, I know people like those And I love them as well So Uh, Victor always tells me I I say I love them all And (laughs) and he's right I do that (laughs) That's
0: very true (laughs) Uh,
1: But anyhow Um the, the first one we're going to do is um, Dark Fantasy. And this one is a good one, guys. It's uh, called, it's Dark Fantasy, and it's called The Man with the Scarlet Satchel. Here we go.
2: I'd like to buy a satchel, if you please. There, that one in the corner would do. The scarlet one. You see, scarlet is my favorite color because it reminds me so very much of blood.
3: know what I came about, Sam. Sit down. Do you have a smoke? Yes, of course. Do you think Mr. Craig knows what we're doing?
2: I believe he suspects.
3: What are your plans?
2: Tonight, Peter Craig will sign over the last of the estate to me.
3: And when do I get the money you promised me? Within a week. Why that wait that long?
2: Because it's the best that way. You should wait longer. Would not do for the private nurse Rose Esther to become suddenly rich overnight
3: you remember the price don't you
2: one hundred thousand dollars
3: I should have more you are netting a cool million
2: the deal was all right with you when I made it
3: yes yes it's all right what time tonight
2: about 11 and he's good and sleepy so he'll take the powder without suspecting
3: you said he already suspect
2: not everything He doesn't know we give him dope to make his mind go blank. We can be pretty sure of that.
3: Oh, that he signs those legal papers while under the influence of the drug?
2: He couldn't possibly know that. He's been taking medicine for so many years. When you hold a glass of it in front of him, he takes it automatically.
3: He has one more paper to sign? One more. I'll give him the powder the minute you come into the house tonight.
2: After that, disappear. Yes.
3: I will. But remember, Sam, I expect my share of the money within a week. I think I've been quite patient with you since we went into this thing. It wouldn't be wise for me to become suddenly impatient. All
2: right, Mr. William. Sit down, sit down. Thank you, Mister Craig. Nurse, hand me my glasses on that table over there. I can't see a thing without my glasses.
3: Your medicine, Mister Craig. Eh?
2: Medicine. Oh, all right. Thank you, Nurse.
3: Now, get my glasses. Here they are. Do you wish warm milk before going to bed tonight? Warm milk? No, No, not on your life.
2: And don't you go locking my laboratory tonight. I'm going to tinker around in there a bit as soon as Mr. Willard
3: leaves. Yes, sir. Just ring if you need anything, Mr. Craig.
2: You look well, sir. i never felt better in my life. Now, what's on your mind at this hour of the night? Well, Mr. Craig, I've been handling your legal affairs for quite some time now. Yes, yes, you, yes, you have. uh, Seven years, I believe. That's so. This afternoon, I stumbled upon something that absolutely astounded me. And what was that? I happened upon the deed to your estate. I noticed it had never been turned over to you in a legal manner. (laughs) Well, it's a small technicality, but I thought I should advise you about it. Have you done anything about it? Why, yes. Yes, yes, I have. That's why I came out tonight. I have the papers with me. Put everything in perfect order. I say, Mr. Craig, is something wrong? No, I. I'm just I'm sleepy. I'd I better sign the b- paper now. Yes, sir. I think you'd better. Here, Mr. Craig. On this line right here.
3: Yeah, yes, yes. yeah. It's, it's here.
2: That's right. Yeah. That's all, Mr. Craig. Yeah. Thank you very much. This is just exactly what we needed.
3: Just exactly. Nurse! Oh. Well, they know better than to leave me here in darkness. Nurse! Nurse! Come here! Come here at once! She's not here. She's. Gone. He's gone. And left me. And he's to die. So still. Left me here. To die. <laughs> no, I can't stand darkness. No, I, I can't be left alone. And I and all my, you know, my heart. Ah.
2: Servant, Alex Monroe, I bequeath the sum of $5,000. This is my will. All that remains, aside from the foregoing, is for Mr. Samuel Willard, my attorney, to carry out the duties I already have it outlined to him. Herewith, attest my hand. Peter Craig. And that is Mr. Craig's will. I wish to assure you that the last portion. Portion concerning the duties involving myself have been carried out. They have to do with the funeral itself and the preparations for the funeral. I wish to thank each of you for coming here tonight to hear the reading of Mr. Craig's will. You will each receive your individual shares of the estate within the next two weeks. Now, good evening. Hello, Mr. Well, Rose.
3: They took it quite well.
2: Why shouldn't they? After all, they were only his servants. He had no relatives. It didn't strike any of them as strange that Craig should have left the bulk of the estate to me.
3: You played your cards very well, didn't you?
2: I think so. The smartest thing was giving the servants a share.
3: Yes. Now, I... I suppose I'll receive my share. Yeah,
2: of course. Within a week.
3: Good. Would you mind answering a question for me?
4: I know. What is it?
3: Those instructions about the funeral. I saw nothing unusual about them.
4: There wasn't anything unusual.
3: But just what were these secret instructions Mr. Craig left for you in a sealed envelope marked to be read immediately following my passing?
2: Oh, that... He just stated he wished to be buried in the family vault. But there was something strange at that. Yes. He directed me to his laboratory, a certain compartment where I found a box wrapped in brown paper and tied with a heavy cord. He instructed that this box was to be buried with him.
3: And was it?
2: Yes, I had it placed in a coffin.
3: Do you know what was in the box?
2: Yes. I don't mind saying I was curious, so I opened the package. Well it wasn't anything worthwhile at all. Just a couple of pounds of modeling clay.
3: Modeling clay?
2: Here. What in the world do you think his idea was in wanting to be buried with such an insignificant thing as modeling (laughs) clay? This way, please, Professor White. Uh, thanks, Mr. Willard.
5: Peter Craig, as I have told you, was an old friend of mine. I, I certainly was
2: surprised to arrive here and learn he'd passed on. Yes, we buried him last Thursday. Mr. Craig had no relatives. I didn't know the names of any of his friends, and that's why you weren't notified. Mm-hmm. I, I once worked with Mr. Craig at Oxford. He could have been a professor there, anyway. Professor? Hmm. Uh, Here, down these steps. Yes, he was quite an electrical engineer. Worked miracles almost with wires and tubes and batteries, condensers, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I knew he liked to fuss around in his laboratory. I've only been inside the place once. Didn't know he was a master at any particular science. Oh, yes, indeed. He was one in a million, always experimenting, always trying some new idea. Uh, here we are. This is Mr. Craig's laboratory. I, I see. This wax on the door. Oh, that. Uh, the police sealed the place up and they were investigating the death of Peter Craig. Investigating? Yes. Mr. Craig died unattended. Heart attack. He fell and struck his head. At first, the police feared foul play. Oh, I see. Oh, I suppose it'll be quite all right to break the seal now. Oh, certainly. We've forgotten all about it. Uh, there we are. Now. I'll go first, Professor White. Light switch is very inconveniently placed. Okay, sir. This is what you wanted to see. Yes, sir. Just as I thought. thought. Table after table and shelf after shelf of electrical equipment. It seems pretty much of a mess to me. <laughs> Poor old Peter Craig. He never was very tidy. I came in here the day the police were around. Just before they sealed the room up. I'd never been here before. All these wires and electrical panels and tubes and things give me the creep. Well, Craig certainly could put weird contraptions together. He spent many hours here. I believe his experiments were the only things that gave him a desire to keep on living. Mm. Say, uh, here's a strange-looking workbench over here. What do you mean, Professor? Well, uh, look for yourself here. See, the tabletop
5: is littered with short lengths of almost invisible copper wires and with little bits of fresh putty.
2: Putty? No, it's not putty. It's it's modeling clay. You... Yes, you're right. Yes, and here's a cardboard box of this That That box? The brown paper this heavy cord. Yeah, well, it appears that there was a great deal more of
5: the clay in this
2: box. You can see that a good portion of it has been torn away from the original mass. It's the same box. The very same one I put into the casket. What? What could Peter Craig have been doing with modeling clay and thin copper wires? Mr. Willard. Yes?
5: Is that the only entrance to this laboratory, the, uh, the one the police
2: sealed? Well, yes, it is. its no windows, no other door. And yet that, uh, that seal was unbroken. We both saw it was. While... Yeah, but look here on this on this workbench here. These bits of clay. Still moist, not dry and hardened like they'd be if, they, if they'd lain here long. Uh, this hand towel here, look at it. Damp. As though someone had just recently dried his hands on it.
3: Mr. Willard, what's
2: this? Do you know? A locket on a golden chain. Where did you find
3: it? Oh, here on
2: the floor, near the wall over there. His picture is a child inside. You know what's in the locket without opening it? Yes. It was Peter Craig's request that he be buried with this locket in his hands.
3: Yes, yes, this is Rochester. Who wishes to see me, Clerk? Well, if he won't give his name, I certainly am not interested. He said to tell me he's the man with the scarlet satchel. The scarlet satchel. Oh. No, I... I don't wish to see him. Send him away, please. Tell him to go away. Tell him to go away. Peter Craig.
2: Good evening, my dear.
3: You. The man with...
2: With Scarlet Satchel. I...
3: I remember when you bought it. You took me with you. And when I suggested a black or brown colored bag, you said... I said that Scarlet...
2: Is my favorite color. Because it reminds me so very much. Of blood.
3: Yes. Oh, no. No. Well, this isn't true. It can't be true. Peter Craig is dead.
2: Yes, my dear. So he is. But
3: you were Peter Craig.
2: I was Peter Craig. Once upon a time. Now, I am merely an old man. With a scarlet satchel.
3: What is in that satchel?
2: (laughs) I'm just returning a gift, my dear.
3: A gift?
2: Oh, it was a most excellent jest, I know. But hardly becoming of so charming a person as yourself. What do you mean? Do you remember the modeling clay? Hmm. I see you do remember.
3: It was was nearly a joke. We sent it to you only in fun. We? And Mr. Willard and I... Oh, yes.
2: Mr. Willard. Well, I never did tell you how much I appreciated receiving a child's plaything from two such thoughtful people. But now, I've come to return the gift.
3: Go away. You... You're some imposter pretending to be Peter Craig... The real Peter Craig is dead and buried.
2: I am going my dear but I leave the gift with you. You'll find it there in the satchel.
3: <laughs> you'll
2: find its contents
6: most interesting I'm sure. And now good night my dear and goodbye
3: He's gone. It isn't true. Peter Craig is dead. That's why I'm buried. This is just a horrible dream. Yes, I I wake up any minute now and. That satchel. scarlet. More scarlet now than it ever was. There on the floor. Where he left it. Oh. it's, It's opening. And yet, There are no hands to do it Something inside Something is Opening that satchel from the inside What What in the name of heaven is that thing? Oh no Stop. Stop Stop I tell you Give away Give away from me
5: Esther was a friend of yours, Mr. Willard?
2: Yes, she was. Mm.
5: (laughs) And that newspaper certainly gives a startling account of her death.
2: Yes. Rose Esther was heard by neighboring tenants screaming hysterically. When investigators broke their way through a locked door, they found the nurse sprawled upon the floor of her living room. Both the girl's hands were clasped tightly to her face. Her eyes were staring blankly, wide with terror. Her last gasping words were Scarlet Satchel. The terror stricken girl undoubtedly died from fright.
5: Scarlet Satchel. Yeah, sounds like a murder plot from
2: Sherlock Holmes. Scarlet Satchel! Just a minute, Professor. Mr. Willard, man, don't jump like that while you startle the life out of me. It's gone. Gone? What's gone? He kept it here in this closet. I remember when he bought it. Who bought what, Mr. Willard? What in heaven's name are you so excited about? The Scarlet Satchel. He always kept it here. Now it's gone. I
7: still
8: don't understand what connection... The cemetery.
2: That's it. We've got to go out to The cemetery. Come on, Professor White. We've got to go out there and see what's happened to the grave of Peter Craig. He's gone. Peter Craig's vault has been opened. Opened? As though someone inside had pushed up the coffin lid to escape. That lid was heavy. Peter! Peter Craig! It was so difficult for an old man to push up so much weight.
7: But Peter, what on earth is, is the explanation of this? They told me you were dead and buried. Then
2: for once, my good friend, they told the truth. Yes. she yes, he is dead. I saw him just after they found him. He'd been dead for hours. His heart had stopped. Rigor mortis had set in. Yes. I was a perfect corpse. Peter. He was taken to the funeral parlor. Embalmed. He lay in his coffin a day and a night before we buried him. Mr. Willard, there's no explanation. I saw them close the coffin on him. Saw them bring it out here. Watched them put it into the vault and seal the door. And Rose Esther witnessed the same thing. That's... Why, I startled her soon. You killed her. You killed Rose Esther. No. Not I. She was killed by the thing in the Scarlet Satchel. The Scarlet Satchel? Professor White. Look, he's carrying it now. There is one plan in the entire scheme of things mortal man does not know. That those who are murdered never rest easily within their graves until they have wrought their full and perfect vengeance. Man. they left me alone, alone in the darkness and stillness of a night, to die. They knew that my heart couldn't stand the shock. It was as much madder as if they'd stopped my heart with a dagger thrust. No, 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 I had nothing to do with that. You and your friend Miss Esther once thought it very hilarious when you sent me a child's plaything to the males, At the time, I was not amused, Mr. Willard. Now I am. The clay modeling set. Exactly. Peter. Peter, man, what are you doing? The scarlet satchel. He's opening it. I'm taking out my little pigmy thing. Peter,
9: that thing looks alive.
10: No.
2: No. Oh, it It's nothing but a little figure modeled in clay. Just a little clay doll. It can't be human. Then watch it come to life. Peter, good heavens, it's moving, walking like a man. You see, I have put the modeling clay to good use. I have created with it your damnation. No, no, keep it away from me. Don't let it come any closer. Keep it away, I say. Don't
11: let it touch me. Stop it. Keep that thing away from me. Don't let it touch me. it.
4: The Man with the Scarlet Satchel The 16th original tale of dark fantasy by Scott Bishop Ben Morris played Sam Willard Fred Wayne was Peter Craig Georgiana Cook took the part of Rose Esther And Muir Height was heard as Professor White Next Friday night at this time Listen to another startling and weird dark fantasy adventure Superstition Be Hanged Written by Scott Bishop Tom Paxton speaking. Dark fantasy originates each Friday night in the studios of WKY, Oklahoma City. This.
1: Okay, this next one um, is another one that's uh, really good that uh, I don't hear played often on. uh, With these people that do radio shows and stuff. So I thought I would do it. I mean, some of them may have, I just might, may not be tuning in at the right time, but this one is called Dark Venture, and it's called The Man in 206, and I think that it'll thrill your socks off. Here we go.
6: Dark Venture. Over the minds of mortal men come many shadows. Shadows of greed and hate, jealousy and fear. Darkness is the absence of light. So in the sudden shadows which fog the minds of men and women are to be found the strange impulses which urge them into the unknown. Dark Venture. American Broadcasting Company presents Carl Harbord in The Man in 206.
12: I paused on the threshold of room 206. Inside the room was the killer playing the piano in the dark. I struggled to hold my nerves in check, alone in the house, with him. My fingers closed around the small axe as I slowly turned the doorknob. And then, as it is with a drowning man, everything that had happened these last few weeks, everything that had brought me to this door, flashed through my mind. For me, it all began that night, for the porter came. The fourth murder in the neighborhood had occurred only the night before, and the papers were full of it. They were calling the killer the executioner, and they said he killed only the helpless. I read all this as I sat in the lobby of my rooming house, and the thought wouldn't leave me. Could it be Fraser? Could it be the man in 206? Oh, I was letting my nerves run away with me. I was letting my hatred for Fraser warp my mind. It was just that everything was falling apart and I couldn't stop it. I remembered how grateful I'd been when Aunt Martha had willed me this rooming house. A chance to make something of my life. Sure, a fine chance. In less than a month, I was on the verge of bankruptcy. Three more tenants had left me today. And all because of Fraser. The outside door opened and a young man came in, shaking the rain from his head. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, what can I
13: do for you, sir? I don't know. That sign on the door intrigues me no end.
12: Uh, how's that?
13: The sign that says vacancy. I didn't think they printed signs like that anymore.
12: Oh, uh, you want a room?
13: Yeah. But I also want a story. A beg one. My name's Martin. I'm a reporter on the Globe.
12: A reporter?
13: Yeah. Every day on my way to the police station to hear the latest exploits of our friend, the uh, executioner, I pass this rooming house. Every day I see that strange little sign. Vacancy. Uh, I'm afraid I still don't understand... In this city, hundreds of good, solid citizens are living in chicken coops and garages. All-night theaters are streetcars because there's no place else to live. Yet, here in their midst is a vacancy. But no one accepts the vacancy. Why? Well, uh,
12: most of my guests are transients. They come and go, so I always have a vacancy. That's all there is to it.
13: In times like these... Why do they come and go? Now, look here. Your place looks clean enough. I don't imagine your rates are too high.
12: Look, if you want a room...
13: And also, why are you so upset? Yeah, there must be a story here. Let my fellow reporters worry about the executioner. I'll tell the story of the vacant room.
11: But
12: I tell you, there isn't any story. As I said... Yeah,
13: yeah, I know what you said. Yeah. I also saw how pale you got when you said it. Look,
12: I'm very busy tonight. When you came in, you said you wanted a room. Do you want it or don't you?
13: Sure. I'll take a room. Make it for a week. Or do you think that's long enough to find out what drives people away?
12: I really shouldn't have rented the reporter a room. But with so many of my rooms vacant, I just couldn't afford not to. After I'd showed him to his place, I decided to see Inspector Garland. After all, he'd been living here in the roaming house for the last eight years. And though I didn't know him very well, Aunt Martha had always considered him her prize tenant. I went down the hall to the inspector's room. I had to talk to somebody. I was desperate.
5: Come in, come
12: in. Inspector, I'd like to speak to you, if I may. Oh,
5: Mr. Wilson, come in. Don't tell me I've forgotten to pay my rent again.
12: Oh, no, it's nothing like that. It's...
5: Don't be bashful to tell me, man. I've got no memory for details. Your poor aunt was always hemming and hawing, trying to get her money without embarrassing me.
12: Inspector Garland, it's not the rent. I need your advice. Advice? Yes. What am I going to do about him?
5: Him? I don't understand.
12: Well, Mr. Frazier, of course, the man in 206.
5: Mr. Frazier? I don't think I know him. What
12: about him? Didn't you hear him last night?
5: Uh, I've been working nights for the last three weeks trying to find some trace of this creature the newspapers call the executioner. You'll have to bring me up to date.
12: Well, this Mr. fraser he must drink or something. He usually comes in after midnight and begins to pound on an old piano I have up there till he's waking the whole building. Because of him, I've lost every one of my old tenants except you, Inspector. Well, yeah, for Pete's sake, why don't you tell him to leave? Well, that's just it. I've never even seen the man. What? My housekeeper, Stella, rented the room to him a week before I came. He paid for two months in advance and no one's seen him since. But if you'd been here at night, you'd certainly have heard
5: him. Did you ever try leaving him a note, ordering him to behave
12: himself? Yes, last night. I left a note in his door. This morning, the note was torn to shreds.
5: Well, I guess the only thing I can suggest is to wait until the next time he creates a rumpus and then call one of our boys to come in and arrest him for disturbing the peace.
12: Inspector, I'm afraid to wait until next time. Huh? Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's just my imagination, but... Yes, Each time Fraser has gone into one of his rages, there was a murder reported in this neighborhood. The next day. I think Fraser. Fraser might be this executioner.
5: And your housekeeper is the only one who's seen Fraser? Yes. All right, come on, let's talk to her.
12: You won't say anything about what I suspect. It'll only upset Stella.
5: No, I won't say
12: Ah, Here's her room. Stella, it's me, Mr. Wilson.
14: Come in, Mr. Wilson. Oh, Inspector Gowler. Why are you packing, Stella? I was just going to tell you, I'm leaving.
12: Leaving? But why?
14: I'm not at all well, you know. I've been under a doctor's care for the last five years, and now this excitement. Well, it's just too much.
5: You mean Fraser, Stella?
14: Him and, and that killer, too. I'm worried and frightened all the time. It's just too much. Well, where are you going? To my sister's place. I'm sorry, Mr. Wilson. Before you took over, I'd worked for your Aunt Martha, God rest her soul, for eight years. But I've got to think of myself. But
12: I'm trying to get rid of Fraser.
14: You'll never get rid of him.
12: Why do you say that, sir?
14: That's just how I feel. Oh, I'm just a bundle of nerves, that's all I am.
5: And you're the one who rented Fraser's room, aren't you, sir?
14: Yes, I'm sorry to say. It was just a few days after Martha died, and Mr. Wilson hadn't come yet to take over the place, so... I was in charge.
5: Did he seem like the kind of fellow who would carry on like this?
14: Oh, no. He was real nice. Paid two months in advance. Gave me a good tip when I showed him his room. He seemed fine.
5: When was the first time you heard him go into one of these rages?
14: Oh, please. I, I told my sister I'd be at her place in an hour. I, I'd just got to finish packing.
12: Stella, Inspector Garland is trying to help me. I'm at the end of my rope. Now, please tell him what you heard.
14: Well, all right. I'll tell you about the first time I heard him. It was just about ten days after he'd moved in. I'd gone to bed early, like I usually do, and it wasn't long before I was found asleep. First, I, I didn't know what had awakened me. Then I realized it was somebody playing the piano. I looked at my dresser clock. Why, it was almost two o'clock in the morning. I put on my robe and went to the door. It was Mr. Higgins, one of our tenants. What
6: kind of a place do you people run here? Listen to that racket.
14: How are people supposed to sleep? Where's it coming from? That new
6: guy, Frazier, in 206.
14: Well, I'll go tell him to stop.
6: Yeah, do that. He's got the whole building away.
14: I hurried down the hall to 206. There was something so wild about that piano playing, it kind of gave me the creeps. Now I'm standing in front of the door. Frazier. Frasier, I want to see you a moment. Suddenly, the piano stopped. Then I happened to look up at the transom, and I realized there was no light in the room. He'd been playing in the dark. Then I heard him walking real slow to the door. The strangest feeling came over me. Everything was suddenly so quiet. I looked down the hallway. All the doors were closed. Mr. Higgins had gone back to his room. Fraser had unlocked the door. My heart started pounding frantically. But why should it? Then the door started to open. But I couldn't see anything except the darkness of his room. Suddenly I I turned and started running down the hall. That's the way it happened to me. I, I can't explain why I ran away, even today. But I just couldn't stand there. I, I just couldn't.
12: All right, Stella, all, all right.
14: right. That's why, I've got to leave. My nerves aren't what they used to be. Maybe after I rest up for a while at my sister's, maybe maybe I'll be all
12: right. You see what he's done, Inspector? I've got to get rid of him.
5: How many times has something like this happened, Stella?
14: I've heard him play like that four times and always the same song. But after that first time, I've never gone to his room again except to clean it twice a week during the day when he isn't there.
5: The room's down the hall, isn't it? Yes. And you got a key? Yes. Oh,
14: come on. Let's take a look at it. Wait. Mr. Wilson. What? I don't want him to hear. Well, what are you talking about? I'll be leaving in a few minutes, but when I get to my sister's house, I'll call you. Coming,
5: Mr. Wilson?
14: I've got something to tell you. What? You'll hear from me.
11: Well, are you coming?
14: Yes.
12: Yes, I'm coming. <laughs>
6: Yes.
5: Nice thing, huh? Yeah. The place looks all right. Where's that door go? Uh,
12: a small dressing room. It's part of Fraser's place.
5: Why is it locked? Oh, it shouldn't be. Got a key to it?
12: Yes, I think so. It's right on the string here. This one should open it.
5: Let's look inside. Good-looking clothes. You must have money. What's this bundle in the corner?
12: Mm, looks like... Dirty clothes.
5: Look at this shirt. Blood. And these trousers. All bloody. And I was right. It is Fraser. He is the killer. Maybe. Maybe not. I'll have to have the blood analyzed.
12: But if we wait until he comes back, it may be too late. Listen. Come on. It's him. He's come back.
13: Well. Hello, gentlemen. Martin. What are you doing in this room? Didn't I tell you? I'm a frustrated Paderewski. How come I don't have a piano in my room? Haven't I seen you around headquarters?
5: Aren't you a reporter with a globe?
13: That's right, Inspector. I'm also a fellow tenant in Mr. Wilson's establishment. Does this room hold the mystery? What mystery? Of the little vacancy sign. Or maybe of the executioner. Ah, ah, ah. There you go, getting pale again. Wilson.
12: I was terribly upset, but I tried not to show it until after the reporter and Inspector Garland had left. Most of my life, I bummed around the world doing everything imaginable. Steve clerk, worked in nightclubs, everything. I was in a hospital clear across the country, recovering from a barroom brawl, when I'd learned I'd inherited the roaming house. It was like a godsend. And now this frightful thing was happening. And if I didn't make a go of my rooming house, I'd be right back where I started. Then, at about 11.15 that night, the phone in the lobby started ringing. Yeah, hello.
14: Hello, Mr. Wilson. This is Stella.
12: Oh, yes, Stella.
14: I told you you'd hear from me, remember?
12: Yes, what did you want to tell me, Stella.
14: I wouldn't want to say it over the phone, Mr.
12: Well, then why didn't you tell me before?
14: I couldn't. Not with the inspector around.
12: I don't understand.
14: I lied to the inspector. That night when all the noise was going on, I did see something in Mr. Frazier's room that I didn't want to tell about. Why? Because I don't think I really understand it. What did you see? Well, like I said, I I don't want to tell you over the phone, Mr. Wilson. You come over to my sister's house and I'll tell you.
12: But there's nobody here to watch the place. Just
14: the same, you come along, Mr. Wilson. It's 354 Westover Place. It's only about a mile.
12: Oh, well, all right. Uh, 354 Westover, there's not much doing here. Uh, I'll be over in half an hour.
14: Fine, I'll wait up for you. And don't you tell Inspector Garland you're coming. Understand?
12: Mm, yes, yes, I I understand. <laughs> But after I'd hung up, two people came in for rooms, and I was busy with them. And then it started raining again, and I couldn't walk through the rain. I tried calling a taxi, but there weren't any available. And when I looked at my watch again, it was after midnight. Then I tried calling Stella to tell her I wouldn't be able to make it that night and not to wait up for me. But I didn't know her sister's number. At 12.30, I went to bed, and I couldn't fall asleep from all the excitement. I finally got up and took some aspirin, and within minutes, I was dead to the world. Yes, yes.
5: Wilson,
12: open up. Oh, all right, just a minute.
5: Come on, Wilson, hurry.
12: Inspector Garland, what's wrong? There's
5: been another killing, only this time it strikes home. What? Your housekeeper, Stella, she was found on the porch of her sister's house.
12: Strangled. After Inspector Garland told me about Stella, I told him about her phoning me earlier and saying she'd seen something unusual in two o six. Then the inspector wanted to see the rooming house register. I took him downstairs and he thumbed through the pages so he found what he wanted.
5: William Frazier, here we are. Registered November 2nd.
12: And the first of these killings was around then, wasn't it?
5: Yeah. Home address, Spokane, Washington. Business says...
12: Mm, not much help.
5: No. If there were an address in California, maybe we could trace him. But we don't have any description to go on. Stella's the only one who's ever seen him. Uh, wait... Is that the reporter. I don't want him to know we suspect Fraser.
13: Say Stella Falvin, the woman who got killed tonight. She worked for you, didn't she, Mr. Wilson? Yes. Why do you suppose she was murdered? Well, I'm sure I don't know. Looks like the work of our friend the executioner. Huh, Inspector? Perhaps. Ah, being a reporter is worse than being a milkman. My paper sent a kid over here at 3 o'clock to wake me up and have me cover this killing. A fine life. Trouble was, I'd just fallen asleep about an hour before... You didn't tell me about these piano recitals, Mr. Wilson. Piano? Take it easy. When I saw you two in room two hundred and six, I figured it was vacant. It, it is vacant. Uh uh-uh. uh No. Some guy was inside two hundred six, hammering on that piano. And I mean hammering. Is that what chases all the tenants away, Mr. Wilson? I told you. What. Yeah, I know what you told me. Well, I'm going to hit the hay for a while. I'm dead.
5: He's gone to his room. Come on. Let's go upstairs to 206. Quick. is been Frazier in there now? There's a chance. Give me your passkey. He's not here. But he's been here. Look at this room. Torn to pieces. Yeah. Now, look. I don't want that reporter to know about Fraser. If he finds out about him, he'll plaster the story all over the front page of that paper his. Ah, oh, I
12: guess that doesn't matter anymore.
5: Oh, but it does matter. Hmm? Frazier's some kind of a nut. I'll bet anything on it. And he'll be coming back to this rooming house if he doesn't find out where we wise to him. You think so? You're getting a guest tomorrow. A guest? I'm planting a man in this house to watch a day and night. And one of these nights, if we're lucky, we're going to hear that piano again. Oh.
12: but we didn't hear the piano again. And Inspector Garland didn't seem to make any progress finding Fraser. I checked with all the California police chiefs. Any luck? None.
5: He's not wanted for anything, that's a cinch. Maybe he uses a false name. Maybe. Well, that makes it even better. You sure he's never come back to the room? I'm sure.
12: Well, I guess we'll just have to keep waiting. I lost all interest in the rooming house. I wasn't able to hire another housekeeper... Although there was no more piano playing,
6: one by one, my other tenants left me. I'm checking out, Mr. Wilson. Prepare my (sighs) bill. Yes, Mr. Higgins. This certainly isn't the same kind of rooming house your aunt used to run. I'm sorry, Mr.
12: Higgins. Finally, the only tenants left were Inspector Garland, the policeman he planted in the house to watch for Fraser, and Martin, the newspaper man.
13: I see you took your vacancy sign down today.
12: Yeah, I'm thinking of closing my rooming house.
13: Looks like I'm not going to get my story after all.
12: Uh, Mr. Wilson? Yeah, it looks that way, Mr. Martin. I placed the rooming house up for sale and started cleaning the rooms and getting everything in order. And it was while cleaning Fraser's room that I made a discovery that sent me running to Inspector Garland's room. Inspector! Look what I found!
5: What is it? A snapshot? Yes,
12: a man and a woman. And look what's written on back. Huh?
5: Bell and William Frazier, Stockton, California, 1945.
12: Where'd you find it? It was in one of the dresser drawers underneath the paper Stella had used to line the drawers.
5: Uh, this is what I needed. We're going to find Fraser at last.
12: That was three days ago. Then tonight, at about 10.30, Inspector Garland got a telephone call. He was out. He'd been gone all evening. But the policeman he planted in the house took the call, and when he hung up, I could see he was pretty excited.
5: When Garland comes in, tell him I went to headquarters. Tell him he'd better get down there, too. Something happened? Yeah, they just located your rumor. William Fraser. You mean they've arrested him? Not exactly. His wife just came down from Stockton and identified his body.
12: His body? Fraser checked into your roomie house on November the 2nd, didn't he? That's right. Well, on the night of November the 2nd, he was killed by a hit-and-run driver. I don't understand. Why, we we're waiting for him to start playing that piano.
5: He's been lying on a slab in a county morgue waiting to be identified. Then Fraser... Couldn't have been the killer. You're catching on fast, Mr. Wilson.
12: After the detective left, I was all alone in the rooming house. I locked the front door and went up to my room. My head was pounding. It had never been Fraser. Fraser was dead, that's all I could think. I stretched out on my bed in the darkness... My mind searching for an answer. If it wasn't Frasier, who was it? Why had I ever accepted this rooming house? Why had I ever come to this place? Why... The piano. For a moment, I thought my imagination was playing some crazy trick. I clamped my hands over my ears to see if the music was in my head. No, it was real. The killer had returned. And there was nobody in the house but me. I don't know how long I crouched on the bed... I was terrified. What was I going to do? The music went on and on. Then finally, I couldn't stand it any longer. I was going to see who was playing that piano. I was going to find the killer. But I needed something to protect myself. I remembered the tool cabinet in the service closet in the hallway. I left my room and hurried over to it. I snapped on the light. And there, on top of the cabinet, was what I wanted. A small axe. Then I started for room 206. I saw through the transom that there was no light in 206. He was playing the piano in the dark, just as Stella had said. Now I was standing before the closed door. My nerves were at the breaking point. My hand closed around the doorknob. I turned the knob ever so slowly. The door was unlocked. I gripped the axe so hard my fingers ached. And then quickly I flung open the door and snapped the lights. You! Are you
13: shot, Mr. Wilson? You killed those people.
12: You're the one they're looking for.
13: This should make you a big man, Mr. Wilson. But what are you gonna do about it? I'm going to call the police. The telephone's downstairs. Do you think I just wait here while you call? Then I'll
12: stay here with you until Inspector Garland comes back, and I'm warning you don't try anything.
13: Is it okay if I play the piano? Why did you kill them? They were all so helpless, so defenseless. Maybe I couldn't help myself. Maybe I didn't even know I was the killer. Maybe it was a sickness in my head. They've got a name for that, you know, for a guy who kills and doesn't know he kills. It's called schizophrenia or something like that. And if a guy gets overtired or too excited, he can get an attack even from something as simple as a song. Well, oh, you killed Stella,
12: too. She was a good woman. She'd worked hard all her... Uh, must you play that same infernal tune over and over again?
13: I like it. It's got kind of a strange rhythm to it when you think about it, hasn't
12: it? I don't care about its rhythm. Just
13: stop playing. Listen kind of gets inside you, doesn't it? You're trying to confuse me. That's what you're up to. I hear you once played the piano in nightclubs. I asked you to play something else. Yeah. I hear this tune was your introduction number. I hear you were playing it that night you got hurt in the brawl. It's a good
12: song. What are you doing? What are you trying?
13: What are you doing I'm to me? I'm just playing the piano, that's all. I tell you, stop! Stop that song! Stop it, I tell you, stop it! Hey, uh, hey! Take it easy.
12: I'm stop. you are all alike. Always trying to outsmart the little guy. Always trying to destroy the sick and the helpless.
13: But you can't outsmart
12: me, can you? I don't let you get away with it, do I? I don't let you trample the helpless into the dust. I bring them rest and sleep. I bring them peace everlasting. It's your kind to hurt them. But you won't hurt anyone anymore. I'm going to kill you. Like I killed all the others.
13: <laughs> He's dead, Inspector i sorry I had to do it that way Why are you sorry? Isn't it best for him? Yeah, maybe it is oh. For a minute there, I thought you were going to stay in that dressing room until he scalped me
5: if It was the only thing we could do I had to get
13: a confession When did you first suspect him?
5: When I found out he was the only one in the rooming house who'd never heard the music. And, of course, when I found out that Frazier had been dead all along. But I had to prove it. Why do you think he killed Stella? Stella had called him and told him she'd seen something until six. You know, that sickness he had is a strange thing. He had an attack that night. And though he became a completely different man, he still remembered Stella's call and was afraid she'd seen him. So, he went and killed her. Huh.
13: Kind of makes you feel woozy, don't it? Yeah. You know, after this, people are going to start saying I'm nuts, too. What do you mean? From now on, every time I see a vacancy sign, I'm going to run like the devil. (laughs)
6: Over the minds of mortal men come many shadows. Shadows of greed and hate. Jealousy and fear. Darkness is the absence of light. So in the sudden shadows which fog the minds of men and women are to be found the strange impulses which urge them on to their venture in the dark. Dark Venture is written by Larry Marcus and directed by William T. Johnson. Next week, at the same time, over most of these ABC stations, we'll bring you another original story from The Land of the Shadows.
4: In tonight's dark venture, Carl Harbord was heard as Eddie, Ben Alexander as the reporter, Herb Butterfield as the inspector, Leora Thatcher as Stella, and Harry Lang as the policeman. John Lake was the narrator. Original music by Basil Adlam. During the war, members of the armed services brought or sent to the United States from various theaters of war captured enemy firearms, such as machine guns and machine pistols. Some of these weapons have subsequently fallen into the hands of the lawless element and have been used in committing robberies and murders, as well as other crimes. They constitute a serious hazard to effective law enforcement. The National Firearms Act requires the registration with the Bureau of Internal Revenue of any firearm from which a number of shots or bullets may be discharged with one continuous pull of the trigger. This is an appeal to the good reasoning of the possessors of trophy firearms. For the protection of your families and society in general, it's your duty to register the firearm and have it rendered inoperative. Don't delay. Just write to the Commissioner of Internal Revenue, Washington, D.C., who will have a representative assist you free of charge. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.
1: Um, this next one, everybody, is uh, it's one that I ran up on by by accident about two or three years ago, uh, maybe four. It's called Diary of Fate, and um, it's it's about this guy, and that's what he does. He keeps a diary of fate. Uh, uh, he keeps a diary of of things that are going on with all these different people and how fate ends up uh, dealing them the blow they deserve <laughs> and uh, so this one is called Daryl James and so I hope y'all enjoy this little program I know I do
2: The Diary of Faith. Faith plays no favorite. It could happen to you. It is recorded that man's destiny is written upon the face of time. Each one's course is charted. From the cry at birth to the expiration at death. The life chart of Daryl James now before me is of particular interest. He was a bright young man about Wall Street. His classmates voted him the man most likely to succeed. But predictions in college yearbooks are merely wishful thinking. For the real truth and ultimate end is written on the larger ledger, an inexorable scroll in the diary of fate. And now, I, fate, accelerating the clock of time... Bring into the present a momentous incident of the future,
10: Gerald. Darling, what are you doing with that gun?
2: An old piratical custom. Just burying another on Victor. Gerald, put that,
3: put that gun on you, man.
2: Yes, Gerald James. Whom the gods destroy, they first make mad. Your act of madness marks you for death and will hang you from that ancient Bermudian scaffold as did the pirate of Cantalon. Remember, Darrow, fate is not unkind. Fate is just. And justice demands that you die. In a moment, I will read again from the Diary of Fate. In just a moment, the strange story of Daryl James. But now, a word from your announcer. In the life of Daryl James, an ultimate decision for evil was made. And that decision so carefully thought out and planned... Was doomed to failure because of the little thing. For these are the tools with which I, Faith, mold the pattern of your invisible destiny. Remember, Darrell, it was in New York City. You were the customer's man who so became the lady's man. You married Felicia Catalan, whose social position and great wealth were her only compensation for a plain face advanced middle age. Later, after a few years of living the comfortable life of a well-kept husband, you discovered Tati Daniels, a beautiful model. And this momentous night is another in the long list of weekly rendezvous. In one of those typical side street restaurants in midtown New York, she waits for you. Good evening, Miss Patty. Are you alone tonight?
10: I think I've been stood up.
2: Did you order now,
10: No, Charles. I'll just nurse this cocktail along for a while longer.
2: Very well, madame. Hello, darling. Hello. I'm sorry to be late. Do you mind if I sit down?
10: Oh, oh. now look what you've done. You've spilled my cocktail all over my dress.
2: Oh, uh, Charles, how about a cloth to dry off Miss Patty's dress? Oh, don't bother. You throw to me another drink and make it a good one. After tonight, I'm leaving this town and you for good. Now, Patty, let's not go through that again. I tell you, I'll talk to Felicia tomorrow morning. That's a couple of hours too late. After tonight, I'm finished. I get claustrophobia living in a marital triangle. But, Patty, you've got to give me time. Time? You said that six months ago. I know, but, well, I I just can't walk out on her. You mean,
10: you just can't walk out on her money?
2: What money? The cantalon millions doled out in monthly allowances? I promise you, I'll tell her in the morning. No, Dale it's been mañana once too often. Look, Patty, I, I gave you my word. I don't trust her. She'll bribe you to come back. It's over between us. I tell you, it's all over. The last time you said that, she came up suddenly with a sixty-foot yacht. Please, Patty. What do you want me to do? I want you to phone her. Phone her? Why? I've got to know tonight. What's come over you, Patty? You've never been so difficult before. I've got an offer, a good offer to go to California. I'm going if you don't phone me. I see. Okay, let's have dinner and then put the call through. Now. But there's no phone here. phone did you say, James? Here's an sir. theory. Just what the forty's behind. Well, how convenient. Thank you, Charles. Shall I dial the number for you, Daryl? You're sure enjoying this, aren't you?
10: Hello.
2: I'll take it. Hello, Felicia. Uh, this is Daryl. Yes, I'm in town. Uh, no, I, I'm not at my club. What's that? When? reading in the morning. Why? Uh, yes, dear. Of course. Yes, I'll be right home. Yes. Uh, goodbye. Yes, Daryl James, because of a little thing. A still drink, Abby's long, smoldering resentment, was sparked to a crisis. The result was a phone call. And then, quite suddenly, the cascading of events found you on a boat, heading for the sunny Isle of Bermuda. What was it, Darrell, that Felicia said to you that so completely changed you from a deserting husband to a rekindled lover embarked on a second honeymoon? And now the top spray of the Atlantic sweeps the rail of the steamship Southern Cross. And you and Felicia, tucked in your deck chairs, are a picture of contentment.
10: Oh, my. Oh, that was a big, brave old darling. I
2: dropped my purse. Will you pick it up, dear? Now, me,
11: madam.
2: I have it. Here you are. Oh, Thank you. Pardon me, but I noticed that one coin you dropped. May I see it again? Why, of course. Here you are. I thought so. This is quite a rare coin, you know. Oh, really? It's sort of a good luck piece. Oh, won't you sit down and join us in some free salt spray? Thank you. My name is Justin, Professor Frederick Justin. Oh, this is my wife, Mrs. James. How How do you do, do,
11: Mr. James?
2: Uh, You were saying about that coin that it was rare. Yes. May I ask where you got it? Oh, my mother found it years ago on her place in Bermuda. Oh, you folks live on the island permanently, or? Just a visit. Oh, well, my wife has an estate down here, they can't allow the Cantalon estate. It's near Spittenden. It's quite a coincidence. Oh, what is? We are going to be neighbors. Neighbors? Oh, but, Professor, are you sure? Sir Howard Watkins is the only estate near ours. I'm going as guest of Sir Howard. That is, in the capacity of, shall we say, an employee. Uh, doing what? Tracing his genealogical chart. You see, I'm a sort of an authority on Caribbean lore. Well, that's interesting. There must be lots of treasure stacked away somewhere among these islands. Stands to reason. Most of it is under sea, I believe. Someday the lost records of these buccaneers will be found, and then you'll see the biggest treasure hunt since the Gold Rush of 49. Oh, really? Why, even the Cantillon estate was once the hideout of Fritz, pirate of Cantillon. Oh, there was such a character. Yes, that's why I was so interested in that court. Mr. Darrell James. Mr. Darrell James. Mr. Darrell James. Yes, the steward's painting, dear. Oh, uh, steward, right here. Mr. Darrell James. Yes. Table ground. Thank you. Something wrong, dear? Uh, uh, no, it's, uh, it's from Winthrop, my stockbroker.
10: Winthrop? How did he know you were aboard the Southern
2: Cross? I don't know the earth. If you'll excuse me, Professor, I've got to take care of this matter immediately. Yes, Darrell. You were almost getting to believe in this second honeymoon. New faces. New scenes and ocean voyage. But a cablegram brought you back to reality. To a conspiracy of murder. Planned the night before your boat sailed from New York. And your co-conspirator, knowing that vacillating mind of yours, decided to keep it prime. And so when the steamship Southern Cross tied up in the port of Hamilton, Bermuda, your mind was busily working on a plan. Well, folks, we've landed in a situation is well in hand, to court a phrase. Oh, this
10: island hasn't changed a mite in all these years.
2: Oh, oh, Professor, would you mind giving Mrs. James a lift for on? But why, dear, aren't you coming? Well, it looks like clearing these customs is going to take a long time. Glad to have your company, Mrs. James. I haven't ridden in a carriage since I was a boy. Oh. But I warn you, I'm an encyclopedia on Bermuda. That's an inducement, Professor. I'll see you at Camp Blondell, dear. I'll be there as soon as I clear. See you later, Professor. I want you to direct me to the cable office. Why, you. Yeah. Patty, what are you doing here? Stop looking at gas. Just start walking. Now, what in the places are you doing in Bermuda? Your wire. do mind what my wire said. I signed that and sent it for a very good reason. But why? Because I found out that everyone who checks in on this island has to check out after a certain amount of time. Or apply for permission to stay on. There are 101 holes in your plan. Now, Patty, why didn't you let me work it out in my way? Didn't it occur to you that it would look mighty suspicious if a Mrs. Daryl James came to Bermuda and didn't leave? Well, I I hadn't thought of that. Anyway, you've got to stay out of sight. That is, until you're ready to leave.
10: I know all about staying on side streets. You taught me all there was to know, remember, darling?
2: Well, just where are you staying?
10: A private home in Warwick West. No one knows whether I come or go.
2: Well, just stay right where you are. I will. What about you? Well, the first step is to find out about the airport Force deal and how to get that cash. And the next step is getting rid of Mrs. Darrow James, the original. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Just make up your mind to cross it, Daryl, because I've burned all the other ones behind us. Yes, Darrell. The fire of passion has burned many bridges. And though this last will on which you stand has spanned an ocean, there is still a chance to turn back but for one thing. Breathe. It is the bond between you and Patty. And it has soul-sealing qualities. And so now, you ride back to Cantalon. You watch the setting rays of the semi-tropical sun. And spacious Cantalon looms almost medieval and the descending twilight, and waiting for you as your ancient carriage rolled into the courtyard is Felicia, the original Mrs. Darrell James. Well, I thought you'd never get here. <laughs> I did too. Took hours to clear the customs. Hey, this is quite a place. Does it extend all the way to the bay? That's
10: our private dock,
2: I'll have you know. <laughs> it looks almost as big as the port at Hamilton. Yes, it's too big. It's become
10: sort of a white elephant. I see. In it. fact, I'd almost forgotten about it myself. Then I got this wire from the airline company offering to buy it. They said something about using it as a
2: seaplane base. Yes, it's admirably laid out for an overseas base. Well, might as well get rid of this coat. You dropped something, dear. Looks like that cable, gram- What?
11: signed
2: Mrs. Darrell James, it was a little thing, the accidental incident, a troubled cablegram signed not Winthrop, but of all things Mrs. Darrell James. You will have some explaining to do, Darrell, even to Felicia. Simple soul that she is. Perhaps your whole plan will dissolve in thin air. Soon now, James, I will write again under your name in the Diary of Faith. Our story continues in just a moment, but first, here is our announcer. ...unpredictable little thing. A crumpled cable brand that fluttered to the floor of Catalan. But that insignificant occurrence... ...revealed the name not of Winthrop... ...but of all names Mrs. Darrell Jane. Perhaps the bridge of dreams on which you stand, Darrell... ...is now burning right to the ground. At any rate you have an answer... And now Felicia, at the dinner table, is hearing it. All I can say, dear, is that I think it's a prank. You said it was from Winthrop. I did? Darling, this wire I got at the cable office. The one from Winthrop I threw away.
10: Daryl, there isn't another Mrs. Daryl James by any chance.
2: Yes, there is, dear. What? My mother, Mrs. Daryl James Sr.
3: That's not very funny. And besides, She's from California. Just
14: what would she be wiring for?
2: You know, come to think of it, that cablegram could have easily come from Mother. She's always referred to my father as Mr. James. You know, it's beginning to make sense. She's full of quirks. I'll cable her in the morning. It still doesn't make sense. Oh, someone at the door. I'll see who it is. Well, good day, Professor. What should I say, good evening? I didn't mean to include on your dinner. I thought you folks might be through. Come have some tea with us, Professor. No, thank you. I've had my quota for the next six weeks. Oh, uh, by the way, Sir Howard was saying at dinner that Cantalon was one of the great show places on the island. Do you mind if I look around? Oh, no, of course not. I've got an idea. Let's all have a look around. It's still quite light out. After all, we'd like to be on hand when you stumble out of that pirate gold.
10: Oh, <laughs> you'll have to count me out, dear. I'm a bit worn from the trip. Just the fireplace and the sound of the sea, and
2: I'll be content. You heard the lady, Professor. Yes. Looks like we'll have to handle this treasure hunt ourselves. These stone water tanks, they're level with the ground. I thought water tanks were something built up high. Well, on this island, there's no well water on account of the corals. Your only supply is the rainwater. See these roofs, sort of corrugated and lime-painted. They serve as water catchments for the rain. You're sure you got this all out of books, Professor? Uh, Sir Howard was telling me that the water tanks on his estate and this one have secret storage rooms directly under them. For what? To hide their pirate's loot from the inspectors of his Majesty's government. Well, maybe there's still some of the treasure hidden there. Not very likely. But anyway, let's have a look. Now, the trick is to find the entrance And just how do you do that? Well, it must be parallel to Sir uh, Howard's tank. At least, that might make a good place to start. What about over here? I think you have something. Yes. Yes, this sounds like it might be near. Now, the track is here. And, uh, if the room is underneath, it must be here. Mm. Look under the dirt. It sounds metallic. You're right, Mr. James. This may well lead you. Yeah, Just grab a hold here now. Try it open the covering with this two-by-four. Yes. Ready? Uh, All right. Uh. Well, this is something. Look, Professor. Those stone steps, they, they lead down to something. Willing to investigate? Yeah, it looks pretty ominous. Okay, let's go. I don't lose that flashlight, whatever you do. No. Hey, this joint looks weird. I hope that water tank doesn't decide to give way after all these years. Now, this
0: tunnel
2: leads to someone. Why, look, Mr. James. Here's a room. Is this where the pirate of Cantalon hid his booty? Hey, look at those spigots in the wall. What do you think they were for? connect with the water tank, probably used for the overflow. If the rain's got too abundant, they might have let some of the water into this room. Maybe it was to drown his victims. You know, this crawl seemed horrible. I wonder if there might be another room below. Why, right, George, you're right, Professor. Look at these metal rings. Must be attached to something. Let's take hold and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming up. <laughs> Oh, put that flashlight down there, Professor. There. Why, it's another room. Shall we investigate? Might as well. We might find the treasures of the Pirate of Canterloin. <laughs> oh, oh, I've seen everything. The is a strange set. And a foul smell. Why, the corpses. Let's go further in. Say, hey, Professor. Those books. What are they for? Looks like Egyptian money. Perhaps this was a special room for the five to spend along with mm, This room would be a shudder. Looks to be an ideal place for murder. So it would seem, Professor. So it would seem. As it so often happens, it is the little things that resolves into the big thing. A rare coin resulting in a shipboard acquaintance. And the casual scroll around Catalan that led to the secret room. You have chosen the path of evil, Darrell. But all you can see is the perfect road to success. And so you planned as you perverse, step by step. Operator, connect me with Warwick 2-9, please. Hello, Patty. Listen, make reservations for one on the airways. Tonight... Sign the passenger list, Mrs. Daryl James. Well, good morning, darling. Bailey, aren't you? Well, it was such a beautiful morning, I couldn't resist strolling about the grounds. Sounds like you've fallen in love with the place. Well, as a matter of fact, I have. I'm dead. You know, Felicia, after looking over the place, I've got an idea. <laughs> you don't want to sell? No. I thought it might be nice to sort of keep that strip with the guest cottage. It runs right alongside the water tank. It'd be nice to have a little place to come down to on a vacation. But the airline company object to cutting off part of the estate? No, not at all. I talked to Driscoll and said that we'd make an adjustment in the price. It's only a matter of some $7,000. And what did he say? Well, oddly enough, they were going to build a wall right about there, so they wanted to close off Sir Howard's property. Now all they have to do is move it so many feet west and have it close off our property. But I think that's wonderful, dear. Then we can stay down here for a while. That's just what I was thinking. Now, come along. The sun's up, and I want to show you the pirate spin that the professor and I discovered.
10: My word, Daryl.
2: You haven't shown this much enthusiasm since we eloped. Well, oh, the second honeymoon is going to my head. Come along. You know, the professor is really a whiz. He's never been here before, but by reading and researching, he knows more about this country than most of the natives. So this is where you were last night. Mm-hmm. Now, now, watch this. I pick up these iron doors, uh-huh. and first, oh. it opens... <laughs> Wow. Why, this is unbelievable. Uh, watch your step. Uh, here's room one. It's another room? Uh, the room below. That's where the pirate hid his booty. Below here? Oh, I, I don't feel like coming down here. Here, it's so far. Oh, you've got to see it.
10: It's, it's crazy.
2: Now, follow me down. Here, hold my hand. Here we are. Do you uh, see those vaults, dear? Yes. Well, that, darling, is where the pirate of Cantalon bearing his treasures and his victims. Yes. What are you doing that
10: time?
2: An old piratical custom, dear. Just burying another Cantalon victim. Yes.
10: do Just do put that down,
11: You're mad!
2: find you a nice casket. There you are. And to make the job complete, I'll just open those spigots and flood this room. They'll never find you. No matter where they search. Sleep gently, my love in your watery drainage. As the water reached the top of the dungeon room, you shut off the space. A large, false metal floor was put back in place. You busied yourself shoveling it over with dirt to make the setting perfect. Once again, in the open air, you fitted the flat metal door securely in place, covered it, and walked slowly away without even a passing glance of contrition. But the crime has been recorded on the infinite scroll, and soon I, Faith, will record the final entry under your name in the Diary of Faith. In just a moment, the surprising conclusion to the story of Daryl James. But now, here again is our announcer. Nothing to worry about. You received Mr. Driscoll of the airline graciously. Explained that Mrs. James was suddenly called back to New York. You received a certified check for one hundred and ninety-three thousand dollars. You made reservations for your return to the States by plane. Late that evening, as you start up the ramp for the loading zone of the airline, someone stops you. Mr. James, Mr. Darrell James. Yes. And from police headquarters. You wanted to identify a body. A body? I don't know what you're talking about. Your wife. You found her? It? Sure. It's all over the front page of the papers. Huh. I never thought you'd find her. Well, it took a bit of searching. Look, uh, I'm not the man you want. You're her husband, aren't you? Yes, but I'm not responsible for her death. It, it was another party. A, a woman who planned it. Uh, a what? It was, eh? Sounds interesting. Tell me more. The the murder was Patty's idea. You say the murder was Patty's idea? And who was Patty? Patty Daniels. She was jealous of my wife. Go on. She knew about the secret room below the water tank. She got my wife to go down there and and then shot her. Shot her? Shot Mrs. James? Yes, yes. Where could we find this Miss Patty Daniels? Well, she left last night on Flight 7. She's probably in New York by now. Flight 7, eh? Well, we can check that. I have a list of the passengers here. Well, she's probably listed as Mrs. Daryl James. Oh, we have a Mrs. Daryl James listed. Then Patty Daniels is the person who posed as Mrs. Daryl James. Is that right?
13: Yes, that's right.
2: Well, before booking you for murder, young man, you're going to identify the body of a Mrs. Daryl James, alias Miss Patty Daniels. You see, we just recovered all the bodies of the passengers in the crash of Flight 7. As I said before, it was all over the front page. Yes, Daryl James. The ironical coincidence led you to a confession. A simple routine question concerning the identification of a passenger listed as Mrs. Daryl James caused you to good out the real truth. It came so close to being the perfect crime, didn't it? And now it is time to close the book. In the case of Daryl James, as in the cases of all mortals, I, fate, am but the instrument of a plan. And the countless little things that happen are the tools with which I work. Daryl James made a decision for evil. Then I, fate, intervened. And because of little things, he unwittingly confessed to a crime for which he will pay with his life. Heed well the moral you who listen and remember, There is a page for you in the Diary of Faith. Included in our cast were Herbert Litton, Virginia Gregg, Joe Forte, Byron Kane, Ray Erlenborn, Jimmy Murphy, and Hal Sawyer. Diary of Faith is a Larry Finley production, transcribed in Hollywood.
1: Now, ladies and gents, I know that if you're into old-time radio at all, um, you are going to love this next one, uh, The Whistler. Um, and I try to catch The Whistler on the weekends anyway, especially when I can. Um, because if I listen to Conyers' Old-Time Radio... Then uh I can listen to him at uh six thirty because he plays a whist he plays two whistlers and he plays two suspenses. So um uh anyway, that's kind of my Saturday and Sunday thing. Now sometimes he doesn't do it um through the week, so but anyway, um enough of that this one is uh, it's called Retribution.
2: Wait a minute. Have you heard the Whistler? You know. That was John Henry. He waited. Waited for a chance to sell his soul to the devil. Money is not enough,
10: John. Money is not enough. We want you, John. We want you.
2: That was his wife, Martha. The former widow, Mars. <laughs> yes,
10: Martha.
2: Yes. And her simple-minded son, Henry. Go
10: ahead, son. Go ahead, we
11: must have
10: John Hindle, yes, mother. Yes,
4: mother.
2: Yes, mother. No! Tonight, CBS presents a new mystery series, The Whistler. And I, the Whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales. Many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And so I tell you tonight the strange story of retribution. Gaze up this muddy rain splattered road. A small, lonely stone building appears against the lightning streaked sky. The disney courthouse for Southern Village, the village of Marsdenburg. It's nearly midnight, a trial is in progress, a murder trial. John Hendrick is on trial for his life. <laughs> the state versus Hendrick killed his wife and stepson. He killed his wife and her simple minded son Henry for the ten thousand in cash she kept in her big house on the outskirts of town. Open the door. There he stands, John Hendricks, a huge, silent man of fifty. Large, bony hands. Close the door. Well, what do you think? Does he look like a murderer? The prosecutor is closing his argument. Ladies and gentlemen, the majority, it has
7: been proven that Mrs. Hendricks had no current bank account. It has been proven that she did have a large sum of money which she kept on her estate. John Hendricks knew of this money and attempted to steal it was caught in the act and killed them both in order to cover up the theft. It was not a tramp who killed that old gray-haired lady and her simple son. There was only
10: one intruder, one thief, one murderer. And there he sits, ladies and gentlemen. There
7: he sits in all his guilt. A vicious killer, a murderer.
2: There is only one decision for you to make.
7: There is only one penalty that can erase from this countryside the stigma of this fiendish crime. One penalty for this axe murderer, John Hendricks. And that penalty is death.
10: It
2: rests. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Have you reached a verdict? Uh, uh. Your Honor, we uh, we the
8: jury, due to lack of more complete evidence, find the defendant guilty of murder in the second degree.
2: Second degree. Cheated death. You'll get life. Sprite? Of course you are. But it had to be. (laughs) It had to be. I know. Don Hendricks, stand up. Yes, John, stand up. Face the court. Watch him now. He's on the speaker. Don Hendricks, I wish to state that I am not in accord with the findings of this jury. However, there is nothing for me to do but send you to the state penitentiary for the remainder of your natural life. Know where you are now? Recognize that huge, sprawling stone structure with the high walls around it? State penitentiary. How much later? Ten years. John Hendricks is in there. He has a number now. It is 1013. Let's go through the gates. (laughs) Up the steps. Down the corridor. Here we are in cell block two. Night again. Just turn me in. This has been going on for ten years for John Hendricks, 1013, and his cellmate Bill, 1014. Bill, 1014, is a gangster. Or rather, he was. But he's changed during five years he's been here. Bill has decided to go straight if he ever gets out, which is very doubtful. But he holds no resentment. And has become more or less happy. Bill started reading here, philosophy and so forth. He's changed. But what about John Henry? Oh, oh no, not Hendrick. because he has a plan. He has a purpose. Move closer to the cell door and listen. Well, all I've got to say, Bill, is I think you're crazy enough to make the try with me. That's a matter of opinion, John. But it'll be simple. i got everything all set. It's all fixed, not a chance of a slip All fixed? Who will? Well, a friend of mine. Oh, I see. Crooked guard. Then. No, he ain't a guard. <laughs> then they got it fixed with a warden. What difference does it make who it is so long as the whole thing is set and fixed? Well, They've got to have some help, inside or out. Oh, damn, I think you're nuts. you stir-crazy. I'm getting out of this place. I got a reason, a good reason. I got something waiting for me outside, something I can enjoy, something that belongs to me. I'm the only one that knows where it is, and I'm going out. You're in here for a good long time, but then if you don't want to go with me, you can stay and rot. Look, Hendricks, I still think you're nuts. All right, what of it? I got the right dope, ain't I? And it'll work. it does. Suppose you find this money hidden away on the old lady's estate. What good would it do you? Have? You killed her and her son to get it, didn't you? That's a lie. I didn't. Didn't kill anybody. I say you did. It ain't true. Not a word of it. But I know where the money is. Okay. You can break out. You can have the money, but. Well, I've done a lot of reading and thinking since I've been here. Ah, yeah, you've gone soft. Maybe so. But I know this much now. If I ever do get out, I'll do things a lot different. But leave me, Hendricks. I'll tread the straight now. I've done a lot of things that I'm sure sorry for now. I, I can't undo them. But I won't do them again. No, sir, I'll do things different. Not the way I did them before. I ah, get just got religion, but it won't get you out. Maybe not, but I'm resigned. I got exactly what's coming to me. And believe me, Hendricks, so will you. So will you. If you break out, they'll have you back one way or another. You watch and see. Well, I'm going. So you watch and see. Watch and see. Now, another storm. Another night. A lonely country road. A car. We're in the south. That village we passed a few miles back, that silent, sleeping village, was Marsdenburg. Yes, Marsdenberg, remember? That small, lonely stone building was the courthouse. The courthouse where John Hendricks was tried and convicted. We're on the outskirts now on a lonely road. A young man is driving the old car and there's a girl beside him. Motor trouble? Well, there, just ahead of the light. Yes, it's a little crossroad store. Pull in. There's
10: a light, but I don't see anybody. Oh, it's closed. We'd better drive on.
2: I guess you're right. Good evening, folks. Uh, what's the trouble? Oh, uh, we're having motor trouble. Oh, uh, is it? Uh, yeah. How are you doing uh, driving
6: around a night like this?
15: On oh, our way west. Mister, is there an inn or something around here where we can stay for the
2: night? An inn? Uh, yes, there's a place about uh, eight miles up the road. They'll probably put you up. Uh, there's a sign on the left-hand side of the road. Can't miss it. This road's pretty bad when it rains. Gotta be careful or you'll find yourself walking. Thanks. We'll try. Good night.
11: Good luck, mister.
8: You'll need the luck. The
2: storm is increasing now. The muddy road sparkles in the flashes of lightning. Tall, dark trees sway back and forth in the fury of the storm like moaning lost souls. The little car lurches and bounces in its fight to keep center of the highway. Two miles, three miles, four, maybe five. And look, there it is straight ahead. On the right side of the road, a blue light. Ah, yes, that's it. Wait, George. The old man say on the right side or the left side of the road.
11: George, what's wrong?
2: I don't know. The distributor must have gotten wet.
10: Look, George. What? That blue light we saw—it's gone. Where is it? We
2: it must have passed it.
10: But well, we couldn't have. I was looking right at it. It seems as it just disappeared in the thin air.
2: I'd better turn in here. This motor won't last much longer. Just so. I can't see a thing. No, can you? Well,
10: it's certainly a desolate looking place. There must be a house back in there. There it is. Look, there's a the driveway. Twenty feet ahead.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, this motor's about to conk out. We'd better drive in and see what we can find. Yes. Drive in, George. You'll find something. That's right. Through the gate. Make the curve. All right. There goes your motor. A little more. No.
10: Oh, we just made
2: it
14: thank heaven.
2: Yes, that's right. Always thank heaven at a time like this. All right. Get out and go up on the porch. Let me help you. I'm
10: all right. What do we do with the bags?
2: We'll leave them here in the car till we find out if there's anyone here. Come on. see a bell? No, can't see a thing. Gee, this place looks completely deserted. I don't think anyone lives here.
3: I don't either. Let's go.
2: You're listening to The Whistler. We pause momentarily for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
3: George, let's don't knock. I don't like this place. Let's go
10: on.
2: How with a dead motor? Where did we go? I'll knock.
11: Well, all right.
2: Ah, that's right. Knock, George. Knock. Go ahead. Louder. Again
3: to have shelter. Yes,
10: but... We, we can't stay in that car any longer. Can we?
2: No. Why not? Here it comes. Now you're on your own, George. On your own. There is someone. Yes? Oh! Uh,
10: good
15: uh,
2: evening.
10: What is it?
2: Well, I, uh, You see, uh, our car. Uh...
10: Yes, our, our our car stalled, and, and we can't Please. go any
2: farther. And it's such a terrible night out but we thought we could stop here for the evening. Stop here?
10: Why? Yes, we we saw your light and light. What light? Why is? What a blue neon out in front. There is no light.
2: Well, have you a room?
10: Yes, there is a room.
2: Well, uh, uh, could we come in? I mean, it's awfully wet out here.
10: You may come in, if you wish. Oh, thank you.
2: Well, this is quite a relief. Hmm. We were afraid you'd closed up for the night, especially when all the lights were out.
10: Are the lights out? Yes, you see. Huh? Of course the lights are out.
2: Oh,
10: I didn't know. You do take tourists. Do we? Oh, yes. That's what
2: they told us. Who told you?
10: Well, the man. The old man at the little store back at the crossroads.
2: Little store? Yes. At the crossroads about five miles back. You know where the crossroads is, don't you? There is no store at
10: the crossroads. There isn't? No.
2: That's uh, Look, madam, would you mind turning on the lights?
10: I can't see a thing. We have no light here. No light? Uh, give me a flashlight, Jennifer. She means there's no electricity. No. There is no light here. Well, throw the flash around. There, there must be a lamp. No. Don't make a light. We see well in the dark. We? Who's we? Is there someone else in the house? My son.
2: Oh, he's going to bed?
10: No. Here, standing beside you. Beside who? You, huh?
2: Yes, my Oh, Gee, give me that flashlight.
11: Got it. You got it.
2: Oh yeah. Gee, how, how long have you been standing there, Bub? <laughs> Since you came in. That's so. I didn't see you. You make a noise like a spook. Who are you? What is your name? Uh, George Kimball. This is my wife, Children. We're on our way west with travelers. Travelers? So are we.
10: Quiet. Quiet, son. Quiet. No, let him talk. He's quiet enough. Um, how long have you both been living here? We lived here all our lives. How about closing the door? Is the door
2: open? Why, of course it's open. What? George! Now, take it easy, Joan. Don't get excited. Oh, look, madam, there's a candle on that table over there at the fireplace. Is there? Yes, and, uh... If you don't mind, I'm going to light it. Please don't. Oh, wait a minute. If you want us to stay here, we insist that we have some light. You want us to stay here, don't you? Do we? Do we, son? (laughs) Yes, mother.
10: What are you looking at me for? Yes, mother. Without light. Yes, mother. (laughs) George, let's go. I don't want to stay here tonight. This place doesn't look good to me. There's been
2: no good here for many years. You see what I mean, George? I don't get it. You don't seem to want us yet. Your son does. How do you make any money that way?
10: We don't make money.
2: You don't? You mean you haven't had any guests,
10: lately? No, not for many years.
2: Well, you can't expect any if you act like this.
10: But we do expect a guest. Don't we, sir? <laughs>
2: He yes, is. mother Well, he certainly has a surprise coming Yes, he has <laughs> uh, How many rooms have you? There are
10: many rooms But only one Only one?
2: That doesn't make sense What do you mean?
10: Only one for guests
2: You mean only one equipment?
10: Yes
2: Well, and if you've got a reserve for this guest, you expect What are we going to do?
10: There is an inn farther along the road They have rooms They will take care of you it will be best for us.
2: Our distributor got wet, so our car won't run.
10: Where is your car? Right there at the foot of the steps. I see no car. You don't? Why, it's standing right.
11: Joan. George, where is it? It's gone.
2: Holy smoke, it is gone. where? How? I didn't hear a sound. It must have rolled in. Oh,
11: throw your light around.
2: Not a sign of it. Say.
10: What goes on here? Son. Yes, Mother? You moved the car?
2: <laughs> yes, Mother. I
10: understand, son. I
2: understand. Wait a minute. Your son moved it? How could he? The motor won't even run. And even if it would, we didn't hear a sound. No sound. How did you move it? I, I don't know. That's a fun thing. Here we are in a place where they don't want us and the way of leaving. Well, you've got us on your hands now. You'll have to make the best of it. No, George, no. We'll leave. Nonsense. This is all silly. Come on, let's have some light and cut out the monkey business. Wait.
10: Son, what have we decided? Yes, Mother. We decided yes. Very well. If you wish. If you wish, you may stay. Stay until... Until when? All night? <laughs> yes, Mother. If
2: you wish. That's better. That's more like it. Now I'll light this candle. There we are.
11: George, look.
2: Look, look at the dust and the cobwebs. This, this looks deserted, like an old cellar. Well, uh, how about the room? Do we get it, or are the guests you're expecting?
10: There is another room that will do, perhaps.
3: Well, uh, could we see it?
2: Yes. Uh, and by the way, how much do you charge? We charge nothing
3: charge nothing.
2: Nothing. Sounds silly, but it's bright for us. We're running short anyway. Well, let's see the room.
10: Very well. It is
2: upstairs. Uh, after you, now. No. You go first. Very well. Come on, Joe. Bring that other again. Come, sir. Follow me.
10: <laughs> yes, my <laughs> I never saw so much dust.
2: Well, they must like it. You know, nice clean dust.
10: <laughs> that room at the head of the stairs.
2: Why, this room was well furnished. Is this the room reserved for your expected guest? No. You said you had only one room furnished. Who sleeps here?
10: I stay here now.
2: I see. Or do I? It's
10: a nice, soft chair. It was always comfortable. We'll leave you now. Come, come. We must leave them alone now. Yes, Mother, leave them alone. Good night. Good night. You will lock your door.
11: Huh?
10: Oh, oh, yes, yes. We'll, we'll lock it. Goodbye.
2: Sonny, did she say good night or goodbye? I
10: don't know. I thought she said... She did say goodbye.
2: Golly, what a scurry of I wish we hadn't had car trouble. That's what we get for trying to drive in this storm. How much money
10: have we left?
2: Not much. Just enough to get to Los Angeles the way I figure. Once I get there, I know there'll be a job for me. We'll make it. Don't worry. You'll see me in a nice job in Hollywood.
3: I'm not worried about seeing you in Hollywood.
2: No?
10: No. I'm just worried about seeing you in the morning. (laughs)
2: Same night, but later. It's midnight. Another car on the same road. You know who it is. It's John Hendricks. You know where he's going. He turns in at our deserted mansion, up the driveway, and stops. He steps out. He slips up the steps, opens the door, and throws his flash about the dusty room. Cobwebs glisten in the beam. A few moments, and the light comes to rest on the fireplace. He steps quickly to the mantel draws a small hammer and chisel from his pocket and sets to work removing a brick. Ah, now he's finished. The brick is loose. He reaches in and withdraws a heavy yellow envelope. He starts to put it in his pocket, but suddenly freezes in his tracks. He can't move. He turns icy cold. Turn around, Hendricks. Turn around. Look. At the foot of the stairs, across the room, stands a woman holding a candle. And beside her, a grinning youth holding an axe. Turn around, Hendricks. Look at their heads, covered with blood. Turn around.
11: John Hendricks, murderer. John Hendricks, please. Yes, John.
10: Henry. Yes, John. No, no. We've come for you, John, the same way you came for us. We've been waiting for you, John. We knew you'd come back for the money. We've been waiting. We've come to take you, John. No, no. Please don't come near me. Please. You must suffer, John, as we have suffered. I have suffered. I have suffered. Not enough, John. Not
2: enough. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't plan to kill you. I went mad. Lost my head. No, no. Don't come near me. You can have the money. You can have it.
10: Then give it to us, John. Give us the money. You won't need it now. Come, son. We must have the money, and we must take John. Come, son, come. No. No. There. There's the money on the floor. Money is not enough, John. Money is not enough. Go ahead, son. Go ahead. We must have John Hendricks' thief. Murderer. Yes, mother. Yes, mother. Yes, mother.
11: Oh, no. 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 Bullets won't stop us. Ah! Lord, George What's that?
2: I heard a scream Downstairs
11: What did I?
3: And stop I'll
2: I'll open the door It must have been downstairs I don't see a thing
3: Here's your flashlight
2: Great Scott Look A man down there on the floor
3: Come on He's dead Look at the gun It's
2: been fired I don't see a mark on it.
11: Let's get out of here. I'll yes. say,
2: come on. How are you doing? Turn for your. George! Cops! What's going on here? Hand over that gun. Thanks. What are you doing here?
11: Well, we're.
10: Uh, we're stopping here. That is. Uh, we're just leaving.
2: I can see that. Know this man on the floor?
10: Know him? Uh, yes, yes. Joan,
2: yes. what's the matter with you? No,
10: no, no. We don't. We. do Thank you for coming, Frank.
2: We... Yes, sir? What are you two doing here? Why, we're. Oh, we're guests.
10: Yes, we're both guests. Guests?
2: Who's guest? Oh, I guess lodgers, tourists, Guess of the old lady. What old lady? The old lady that lives here, the old lady and her son. Huh. You'd have to cook up a better one than that. What do you mean? Drive here? Where's your car? The son took it. Son, old lady, what are you talking about? They live here. They said they owned this place. We had motor trouble and they put us up for the night. What about him, Frank? Well, he isn't dead, breathing. Looks like he had a stroke or something. It's him all right. John Hendricks. Take a look around. See if there's anyone else here. Yes, sir. What's your name? George Kimball. This is my wife. We're on our way to California. Do you know who this man is? Certainly. We've been on his trail. He's an escaped convict. Is this your gun? No, sir. Did he shoot at you? No, sir. You shoot at him? This gun's been fired and we heard shots as we turned in the driveway. Not a sight of anyone, sir? Nothing but dust and cobwebs. Look, Campbell, you said there was an old lady and her son here. Sure. They were here all evening. They're not here now. Well, they let us in and showed us to our room. They certainly were here. Uh, what did the old lady look like? Well, she had gray hair, wore a house dress and an apron. What did the boy look like? He was a big kid, about twenty. Had a round, rosy face, and I think, well, in fact, I know he was kind of simple-minded. He had a strange laugh, and he he had red hair. Well, I'll be darned! What do you think of that, Frank? Golly, isn't he the creep? Why so? Do you know who you've just described? No. The old lady and her son who used to live here. Used to live here? Yeah. They were murdered here ten years ago. What? Murder, sure. This man on the floor was her husband, the boy's stepfather. He was tried for killing them with an axe and stealing her money and bonds. He got off at second degree because of lack of evidence. He escaped a week ago and headed this way. They've been on his trail ever since he entered this county. So you see, Kimball, if there was anybody else here tonight, it must have been a figment of your imagination. This house has been deserted for ten years.
11: Oh. Oh, George. Good
2: Lord. Look, Sergeant. Found this envelope on the back doorstep. It's the money. Well, what do you know? The money and the bond. Old Martha. Hendricks' money. That's why Hendricks came here. But... But but where did they go, the old lady? No place, because they weren't here, Kimball. Well, better get them out of here and back to headquarters. Oh, wait a minute. Don't leave us. We won't. You're coming along, too. Why? We need you for a day or two. All right, let's get going, Frank. Come on. But but where where did they go? We saw them. I know they were here. Well, you certainly described them to a T, but don't worry too much about it. You know, things like this can drive you nuts. You know what I mean? Things like this, well... Things like this sometimes just... Just happen, you know what I mean? No. Well... Oh, come on, let's go before I get the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. What did he say? Things like this just sometimes happen. Just happen. Well, sometimes they do, and can't be explained. <laughs> but not this time. Oh, no, not this time. This can be explained. Remember John Hendricks' cellmate Bill? Bill number 1014. He can explain. He knows all about it. Because he planned it. Bill wanted the money. He'd learned all the dope from Hendricks. He sent his pals, the phony spooks, made up like the old lady and her son, to grab the money when Hendricks recovered it. Too bad they dropped it in their hurry to get away. Bill didn't want to hurt John. He wanted to scare him out of it. Remember, Bill, ten fourteen had changed. He said he'd never do things the way he'd done them before. And he didn't. Bill meant what he said.
11: (laughs) Good night.
2: And you unaware and you listen, we've served our purpose. The Whistler with original music composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next week, same time, the Whistler returns. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Okay, y'all, um, last but not least, here comes the strawberry and whipped cream on my Sunday. And this week, it it is going to be someone that I just think is so talented and so versatile. I just wish he was still alive. Mel Blank, the voice of Bugs Bunny. Porky Pig, Daffy Duck, and who el- Who knows who else? But
0: <laughs> <laughs> my favorite was uh, Foghorn Leghorn.
1: Oh, I love Foghorn Leghorn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably why I think Southerners are so stupid. <laughs> uh, I get it from you. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: remember, television is television.
0: Yes, it is. It
1: is very much. You, you can't go by the hillbillies and Green Acres and no. and, and, and Foghorn Leghorn.
0: <laughs> True. But then again, look at Elmer Foote.
1: <laughs> well, he's not Southern.
0: True. I... Th- uh, I wonder, was it Mel Blank that did all the characters on that, uh, on the Looney Tunes?
1: He did most of them.
0: Most of them, right.
1: But anyway, uh, uh, what's the name of the one I picked?
0: Mel's Putty Cake.
1: Yeah, oh, Mel's Putty Cake. He gets roped, Mel gets roped into being in this cooking contest. Um, he didn't intend to, but this lady, decided that he needed to uh to be in it for whatever reason
0: um and so so he got drafted you might say yeah
1: he got drafted and he ends up making a cake and putting putty
0: in it so what is putty?
15: um um I think
1: you know sometimes they use putty in uh Oh, stuff like putting it in cracks in the walls and windows and stuff like that.
0: Oh, I see. I see. Okay, I got you.
1: And so spackle. Yeah. And when I was a little girl, we used to have this stuff Oh yeah, way back when I was a little girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had to say that because I knew you were going to say it. Um, No, I wasn't going to say it. (laughs) But we had this fun stuff called Silly Putty.
0: Oh, I remember that, yeah.
1: I played with Silly Putty the year you were born.
0: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) We also used to play with Silly Putty because I thought it was so cool because you could... uh, Put the city buddy on a comic book page and it would transfer the image onto the silly buddy. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, that's neat. I didn't know it would do that.
0: Yeah, I didn't know. It. Well, I didn't know because of the commercials, but yeah.
1: Oh, I didn't even know in the commercials that it would.
0: Well, no, because you wouldn't be able to see. No. Still, I can't wait to see what he does with putty.
7: From Hollywood Colgate Tooth Powder for a breath that's sweet and teeth that sparkle presents the Mel Blanc Show. <laughs> Colgate Tooth Powder for a breath that's sweet and teeth that sparkle Brings you the Mel Blanc Show With Mary Jane Croft, Earl Ross, B. Benaderet Leora Thatcher, Zookie, And Victor Miller and his orchestra You've heard Mel Blanc as the happy postman
9: Hello Mrs. Burns, here's your mail well, Goodbye Mrs.
7: Burns, remember, keep
9: smiling <laughs> You've
7: heard him as the famous train caller
9: Trailing on track five for Anaheim, Azusa and Cook Come on, You've heard
7: him as the lovable character, Zookie.
9: Well, in the fix-it Shop, I'm the be, be, the, president, be, the, president, be the president I'm the vice pres uh, I'm the, t- the Treasurer. I sweep out the place.
7: You've heard him as the famous Warner Brothers cartoon character Bud's Bunny.
15: What's up, guy? Now, I'll
7: hear him as the star in his own show. <laughs> Hello, Mel Blanc's fix-it Shop. You bend it, we mend it. Say, folks, does your vacuum cleaner pick when it should vac? Does your clock talk when it should tick? Well, why not bring them to Mel Blank, who can make anything work? Uh, except his Uncle Rupert. We find Mel on the phone. Hello, Mel Blanc's fix-it shop. You bend it, we mend it. Uh, recharge your storage battery? Oh, the battery in your hothouse for the plants. I won't forget. I'm making a note of it right now. Put amps in plants. <laughs> 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 Goodbye. Oh, say, nephew, I hope you haven't forgotten we're all going to the county fair tomorrow. Gosh, no, Uncle Rupert. Why, Suki here is starting to dress up for it already. Suki, where did you get that high, stiff collar? It's eight inches high if it's an inch. Yes, my lad, it can't possibly be comfortable. Oh, it's uh, yeah, comfortable, all right. You see, it doesn't bother me. bit.
9: <laughs> but every time I I hiccup, my head disappears. (laughs) Oh,
7: for the love of heaven. Look, Uncle, here comes Betty. Take Zuki in the back of the shop and get that thing off his neck, huh? Yes, come on, Zuki. Come on. Hello, Betty.
15: Oh, Mel, I'm so excited about the county fair tomorrow, aren't you?
7: Yeah. Gee, I hope we have as much fun as we did last year. Hey, remember the tunnel of love? Uh
15: Uh-huh.
7: Betty, this time, let's get seats together.
15: (laughs) (laughs) Silly. But now, tomorrow, I think I may have a surprise for you. Surprise? Yes. What would you say if I won the cake baking contest at the fair?
7: Why, honey, I'd say, uh, gosh.
15: (laughs) Oh, I'm sure I can win. I'm using Mother's prize-winning recipe. I want to show you what a good cook I am. You know, I think sometimes girls pay too much attention to their looks. After all, men prefer girls who can cook, too.
7: Oh, I don't know. I've heard fellas say, boy, has she got a shape. But I never heard them say, boy, she got recipes.
15: <laughs> well, just the same, Mr. Blank. You'll be getting a good cook when we're married. If we're ever married.
7: Oh, gosh, honey, I want us to get married soon. Go ahead, you just name the day.
15: Now, we have named the day four times already.
7: Huh? Oh, yeah. Now if we could only decide on the year. <laughs>
15: <laughs> oh, no, honestly, darling, you, you should become more serious about your business. N- now... Now, be
7: business mark, Hello, Mel Blanc's fix-it shop. You bend it, we mend it. Who? Oh, the Y. Oh, it's the Y, honey. Hello? Yeah? Do I know how to get to the Y? Sure. I was there last week with a friend. We had a swim and a rub down together. Wait. Look, look. Hey, hey, please, I only meant... What's the matter, darling? It's the YWCA.
15: Uh...
7: <laughs> yeah, I'll be right over. Uh, thank you goodbye
15: <laughs> What a business man what they want
7: Well they want me to fix an oven. Uh, I'll go over and land all their fix it business just for you
15: uh, that's the way I like to hear you talk.
7: I'll go down there and really sell myself. They won't be able to say no to me about anything.
15: Remember darling it's the y w c a
7: huh oh well, almost anything <laughs> <laughs>
16: Now, ladies of the cooking class, that will be all for now. You've baked some lovely cakes today. And remember, the one I think is best is going to represent the YWCA at the county fair tomorrow. Well, come back later, girls, and I'll announce the winner.
11: Uh,
7: I beg your pardon, ma'am.
16: Goodness, a man! Thank you. Uh, I,
7: I'm Mel Blank.
16: What can I do for you, young man? I'm Stanhope, the cooking teacher.
7: Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Stanhope?
16: Miss Stanhope.
7: Oh, uh, I'm sorry.
16: You're sorry.
11: <laughs>
7: well, if you'll show me the oven, I'll get right to work. I told the secretary I'd start right in. This
16: is odd. Very odd.
7: Oh, I do a lot of odd jobs.
16: I must take this up for the membership committee. Well, there's your stove right there. Thanks. And you'll find all the ingredients for baking a cake.
7: Me? Bake a cake?
16: Please, but... please, you were late to start with, so get to your pots and pans. But, young man, the secretary sent you here, didn't she? Yeah, but... Well, very well then, start baking. I'll be back later to see how it turns out. Extremely odd. Unheard of. Hey,
7: just a minute, I... I? Gosh, what does she want me to do? Bake a cake to prove I can fix an oven? <laughs> what a silly way to run a place. Boy, am I glad I joined the YMCA. What do I know about cooking? Well, here goes for you, Betty. <laughs> Gosh, I'm following the recipe on this box, but I'm not getting anywhere. It says break six eggs, beat till stiff. That's silly. Some people get stiff quicker than others. Now add a level teaspoon of vanilla. (laughs) Whoever heard of a level teaspoon? The stuff would roll off. Now before putting in cake, stand near open window and cool off. Cool off? I don't even feel warm. Oh, this is silly. This batter won't even stick together Hey, wait a minute Nobody's going to eat this cake I know what'll make it stand up Yes, sir, I'll mix in a little putty
16: Ladies, ladies, come here to Mr. Blank's stove (laughs) This marble cake is a work of art Why, it looks just as though it was modeled out of clay However, did you do it?
7: Oh, I just stuck a few things together. But now do I get the job? You certainly do. Swell.
16: Even though it's a bitter blow to all of us girls, a man is going to represent the YWCA at the county fair. You and your beautiful cake.
7: Oh, thanks. Betty you'll be what? Yes, that's right. Oh, but you can't. You, you don't know what I put into it.
16: Now, now, your recipe is your own precious secret.
7: Oh, this is silly. I don't know how to cook.
16: No false modesty, Mr. Blaine. But I tell you not I... a word now. I'll see you at the fair. <laughs>
7: Oh. Gosh, I hate to think what'll happen if Betty hears about this. I started out to be a serious, dignified businessman. And now I'm a a male prudence penny. A penny that feels just like two cents. <laughs>
11: Colgate Tooth Powder, keep smiling just right. Use it each morning and use it each night.
17: Don't take a chance with your romance.
7: Use Colgate Tooth
11: Powder.
7: And... When two is company, take it from me, a breath of trouble is very N.G. Yes, indeed, that little breath of trouble, I mean unpleasing breath, may ruin your romance, even jeopardize your job. Yet anyone can be the victim of unpleasing breath, even you. Just do this. Brush your teeth night and morning and before every date with Colgate Tooth Powder. For Colgate Tooth Powder cleans your breath as it cleans your teeth. Yes, scientific tests have definitely proved that in seven cases out of ten, Colgate Tooth Powder instantly stops unpleasing breath that originates in the mouth. What's more, no dentifrice at any price cleans your teeth more quickly and thoroughly than Colgate Tooth Powder. Remember to buy it first thing. And remember the name, Colgate Tooth Powder, with the accent on powder.
11: Don't take a chance with your romance.
8: Use Colgate and Tooth Powder.
7: Well, when it comes to getting into trouble, Mel takes the cake. In this case, the beautiful cake he made with the aid of a little putty. We find Uncle Rupert trying to understand just what happened to Mel. Let me get this straight, Melvin. Your cake is going to represent the YWCA at the fair. But I tell you, Uncle Rupert, I was an innocent dupe. Dupe? That's a strange pronunciation. (laughs) Oh, I tried to explain to Miss Stanhope, but she wouldn't listen. You should have made her listen, my lad. You could have done it. You've got something on the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I've got something on the ball. A great big number eight. (laughs) Ah, Look. Here comes Mrs. Longnecker down the street, my beloved Clara. So what? So everything, my lad. Don't you know she's the honorary judge at the cake contest tomorrow? She is? I'll just explain this culinary comedy of errors, and she'll make sure your name isn't even mentioned. You know, I can mold Clara like putty in my hands. What's the matter? What's the matter? Putty. Putty. Don't ever mention that word. Ah, Clara, my dear, it's good to see you. You're as radiant as...
17: Rupert, you're getting fat.
7: I... Huh? I think I carry my weight rather well, my dear.
17: You don't carry it. You drag it.
7: (laughs) How are you feeling today, Mrs. Longmecker?
17: Oh, I'm so weary, Melvin. I spent the whole day trying to find a suitable safe deposit box for my money. And would you believe it, in this whole town, there was only one that would do.
7: Well, that's good. But
17: I can't use it. Why not? There's a family living in it now. (laughs) Oh. Oh, money, money, money. My millions cause me nothing but misery.
7: I'd be glad to share your misery, my dear. <laughs>
17: Please, Rupert, none of your nincompoopity. <laughs>
7: nincompoopity. Well, excuse me, Mrs. Longnecker. I've got something to do. Oh, well, uh, Uncle, don't forget to ask. Uh, you know what? 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 What, Rupert? Well, my dear, tomorrow at the fair, when you're judging the cakes, if you happen to come across one with Melvin's name on it,
17: Melvin, Melvin baked a cake.
7: Well, it's a long story, but would you? Would
17: I? Oh, you want me to see that Melvin's cake wins. You want me to open my big generous heart and say yes.
7: On the contrary, my dear, I want you to open your big generous mouth and say no. <laughs> Rupert, oh, what I meant what you're was you're positively
17: the... insulting. Good day.
7: Hey, how'd you make out, Uncle Rupert? Is she going to do anything about my cake? Uh, I'm afraid not, nephew. Oh, but you say. Well, said... for all you know, Betty might be glad to know that you're a good cook. Oh, I'm a good cook, all right. A wonderful cook. I'm the only one in the world who can bake a cake and cook his own goose at the same time.
11: <laughs>
7: uh... Betty. What would happen, well, just suppose, for instance, uh, a man won the cake contest today.
15: A man? Oh, don't be ridiculous, darling. No man would enter a cake contest at the fair.
7: Oh, he wouldn't, huh? <laughs> What's
15: the matter with you, darling? You seem so nervous.
7: Uh, look, honey, I know I make a lot of mistakes, but I keep trying to improve myself because, well, because I love you. I know. Melvin, may I see you a moment? Oh, pardon me, Betty. I'll see what Uncle Rupert wants. Nephew, your worries are over. Your old uncle is going to take care of that confounded cake. Now, look, it's almost time for the contest. Do anything. Have you seen Zookie around? No, but there's Dr. Crabb, the dog doctor. Maybe he has. I'll see you later. Dr. Crabb, that dried-up dog doctor. Oh, well. Oh, Christopher, have you seen Zookie? Zookie? No, Rupert, I haven't. <coughs> <laughs> What's the matter with you?
8: Nothing's the matter with me (laughs) Just got a catch in my throat (laughs) Could I have a pan of water? (laughs) Christopher,
7: you're even getting to sound like a dog
8: Oh, thank you, Rupert No, I don't feel so good today Would you see if my nose
7: is cold? Oh, you're okay. Surprising that you managed to tear yourself away from those dogs. Yeah, I love
8: my dogs. Man's best friend. (laughs) You know, sometimes it takes me hours just to give them dinner.
7: What do you do? Feed them one by one? Yep. To each his bone.
8: (laughs) Why, sometimes... Look,
7: Christopher, I'm in a hurry. I've got to find Zuki.
8: You know, they're judging the livestock here today. My cow could have been the best cow in the show. But there was a blot on her record. (laughs) Your cow had a blot on her record? Yeah. Those milk people once fired her for being discontented. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
7: Please, please, go away, go
8: away. All right, Rupert, but remember, a cow has the kind of shape that gives us many laughs. Her thighs are bad, her ankles worse, but she sure has pretty calves. (laughs) Bye.
9: (laughs)
7: Suki, I thought I'd never find you.
9: I'm sure glad you did. You did, you did, you did, you did. <laughs> I was lost. <laughs>
7: now listen carefully. Mel is in trouble. One of us has to sneak into that tent where the cakes are. One of us has to eat up Mel's cake. Every last crumb of it. <laughs> one of us
9: has to take the chance of being caught and thrown out. <laughs> no! No! But Zuki, it's for Mel Oh, <laughs> uh, we, uh, why didn't you say so? Hmm, I asked some uh, me, uh, me, me marble cake. It's <laughs> uh, uh, very tasty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I uh, just swallowed one of the marbles. <laughs> Uh, this just hits this, uh, uh, the spot. <laughs> uh, I wish it didn't hit so hard. Zookie. Huh? Oh, Mrs. And, 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 uh, and, uh, Wha-
17: what are you doing? Don't tell me you're eating Melvin's cake.
9: Okay. <laughs> I won't tell you.
17: Put that cake down.
9: I'm, I am as fast as I can.
17: <laughs> oh, do you know what you've done? That was the YWCA entry in the contest. I'm going to take you to the fair officials at once. I'm going to take you there if I have to carry you.
9: Well, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all through. Gosh. <laughs> I'll have to be carried.
15: It'll just be a minute now, dear, before Mrs. Longnecker announces the winner. Yeah. Oh, darling, I've got a hunch I'm going to win. Well, aren't you glad I'm a good cook? After we're married, you'll be well fed.
7: Yeah. My dad used to say, just get married, son, and you'll soon get fed up. What? (laughs) Oh, I didn't mean... Oh, oh, there's Mrs. Longnecker now.
17: Ladies and gentlemen, there were two cakes tied for first place in the contest. One made by Betty Colby. Darling, my cake. The other representing the YWCA. Oh, no. Unfortunately, the YWCA cake was destroyed completely. Hooray! Mr. Blank, please. But just because that cake was destroyed, it made up my mind. A young man passing by could not resist it. He ate every last crumb of it. Yes, that's what this boy Zuki did. Zuki! Oh obviously, a lovable American boy is a better judge of cake than I am, and so I award the domestic science cup to Mel Blank.
11: (laughs)
15: Mel Mel, what does this mean? I've got to go. Where are you going, Mel?
7: Uh, I think I smell my fudge burning.
15: Frank, come out from under that counter.
7: Oh, I was just looking for Zuki. Well, you
15: won't find him there.
7: Oh, but you don't understand. I'm worried about him. Anything might have happened to him, Betty.
15: Why don't you worry about what happened to me? I was never so embarrassed.
7: Oh, I know, honey. Gosh, I'm sorry.
15: That catty Muriel Graves wanted to know if I still loved you, even with your dishpan hands.
7: Oh and Mr.
15: Thurston, president of your lodge, stop me and... Yeah,
7: I know. He's going to transfer me to the ladies' auxiliary. <laughs>
15: <laughs> well, here's a cup you won with your own little hand. Well, go on, read the inscription.
7: Well, uh, okay. Oh, no. Go on, read
15: it, read it. Go on.
7: To the kitchen queen. Who's sure to make some man an ideal wife
15: And I have to be engaged to Miss Kitchen Queen of 1946 Oh, gee And you were going down to the YWCA to get their business
7: I got the business (laughs) Won't you let me explain? I went to the YWCA to fix an oven But Miss Stanhope made me bake a cake The only reason my cake looked like anything at all Is because I put putty in it to make it stand up You
15: oh, Mel putty? Oh,
7: darling. Well, it's no laughing matter. Zuki, ate it? For all I know, the poor kid may be in the hospital right now.
15: Oh, no wonder you were so worried about Zuki. Hey, uh, did somebody call me? Oh,
17: Zuki, are you all right?
7: Hey, maybe we ought to call a doctor, huh?
17: Oh, yeah, Zuki, how do you feel?
15: Oh, I I
9: feel uh, fine. I feel uh, great. I was uh, singing all the way home singing. Yeah, it's the, it's the cement mixer, putty putty.
4: <laughs> we'll be back in a minute for a
7: zookyism. What's a Zookieism? Well, wait and see. Use Colgate tooth powder, keep smiling just right.
11: Use it each morning and use it Night. Don't take a chance with your romance.
7: Use Colgate, Colgate
11: Tooth Powder.
7: Young man, have you wondered why opportunity stays away from your door? Perhaps a little breath of trouble, I mean unpleasing breath, has caught up with you. It's best to be on your guard. So do this. Brush your teeth night and morning and before every date with Colgate Tooth Powder. For Colgate Tooth Powder cleans your breath as it cleans your teeth. Yes, scientific tests have definitely proved that in seven cases out of ten, Colgate Tooth Powder instantly stops unpleasing breath that originates in the mouth. What's more, no dentifrice at any price cleans your teeth more quickly and thoroughly than Colgate Tooth Powder. Remember to buy it first thing. And remember the name, Colgate Tooth Powder, with the accent on powder.
16: Don't take a chance
11: with your romance.
8: Use Colgate
11: Tooth Powder.
7: Well, Zuki, we had quite a mix-up at the fair today. I'd like to feel you profited by it. Yes, my lad. It should have taught you what people should do to stay out of trouble. What should they do?
9: Well, the the to stay out of trouble, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, be, uh people should uh, li- look before they le 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 lily, le le people should should their their le and le 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 le
7: let him eat cake. <laughs> this is Scott Easton reminding you of the Colgate Two Powder for a breath that's sweet and teeth that sparkle. Brings you the Mel Blanc Show every Tuesday at the same time. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday night for more fun with Mel and the people you'll meet in Mel Blanc's Fix It Shop.
2: Say hello to Halo Shampoo for naturally bright and beautiful hair. Remember, even finest soaps and soap shampoos hide the natural luster of your hair with dulling soap film. But Halo shampoo contains no soap, therefore leaves no dulling soap film. Even in hardest water, Halo makes oceans of rich, fragrant lather, quickly banishes loose dandruff and dirt. Halo needs no lemon or vinegar rinse. Say hello to Halo and goodbye to dulling soap film. Get Halo shampoo at any cosmetic counter. <laughs>
7: by David Victor and Herb Little Jr. and was produced and directed by Joe Ryan. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Okay, everybody. I hope y'all have enjoyed the show as much as I have. Uh, uh, I don't know. I always have fun doing this little show. And um, so I don't know for sure what I'll be doing next week. Um, I'm thinking about next week doing theater type shows. And um so I think uh, if y'all are into that kind of stuff you'll like it. So um, Wouldn't
0: that be drama? Huh. Wouldn't that be classified as drama?
1: Well, yeah, it's drama, but you know they just they've got so many shows that are called This and That Theater. So, you know, I just right. that's why I put it that way. But um yeah but anyway um, as I said I hope y'all enjoyed it and um, hope you'll um, come back and um, join us next time and uh, I meant to tell you I'm I'm awfully rude because I was going to tell you to take your shoes off and set a spell but I, I didn't
0: and so Y'all just yeah, have to... Just think of all the stinky feet. <laughs> we'll let you wash them.
1: Um,
11: <laughs>
1: we're good folks down here. But anyway, um, before I go, I want to give you um, our contact information, how you can get in touch with us. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, you can. Um, um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and um, YouTube. You can like and subscribe to all those places and uh click your notifications and um, but um, if you don't like any of that stuff you can find us on any kind of podcast player. So we're everywhere and um, but if you want to contact us um, you can uh leave your comments at with uh Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway at gmail.com. Um, or you can tweet at BlindWhose W-H-O-S-E. And um, that's one word. You can um, get us on Facebook at Whose Blind Life is it Anyway. I almost said at gmail dot com, but Facebook it don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you can tweet me at Moni sixty, that's M O N N I six zero.
0: I uh the other day when I was doing the intro for Victor's show, uh, I kept saying, "You know how I do my spiel at the beginning." Yeah. and uh, I was telling them about Facebook and I kept saying at gmail.com <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
1: if you want to get me by Facebook it's just simply Monica Jones um, if you want to email me I am coffeegal62 that's just one word just like it sounds C-O-F-F-E-E-G-A-L-6-2 At gmail.com And I think that's a wrap um, Have I forgotten anything? Don't think so Well, y'all say bye to Victor Because he gets sad
0: Y'all come back now, here. Yeah?
1: yeah, there you go